Ah, uh, um, so how much is that? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast editor's mastermind, the podcast about the business of podcast editing. I will be your host tonight. I'm Carrie Caulfield Eric, and you can find me at yayapodcasting.com. I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And Daniel is behind the scenes being in charge of everything. So you can find him at rothmedia.audio. Yay, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Yeah, his voice is gone. So uh, hopefully he will be joining us next time um, and we'll get to actually hear from him. But um, we are both really excited about tonight's topic. It's something we've been wanting to talk about for a while now. And that is, what do you share about your business? How much do you share? How do you know what to share? What are your thoughts around that? And when Brian posted the information for this live stream in our group, we also had some very interesting conversation around that. So I hope you guys are excited as well. So where do we want to start, Brian? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess maybe just kind of in my mind, level setting a bit, because one of the things that I love about the podcasting industry and even the podcast editing industry is even though we're um, competitors, right? You and I don't necessarily compete for the same clients, but we do kind of the same thing. So there's, we could say, yeah, we're competitors. There's also a strong sense of collaboration. You know, we all seem to jump in and help ourselves out, but that doesn't mean that it's okay to share everything. And in my mind, because I'm a category guy, you already know that, Carrie, I'm sorry, but... (laughs) Like in my mind, there are things that are absolutely okay to share. Uh, There are things that are maybe unwise to share. And there are some things that I think might border on illegal to share. And so like, I think we need to be aware of, of that and how we walk that out. And, you know, if, if we're coming into this for the first time, maybe it's not something we've thought about. Whereas, you know, in my experience, because I work for a big company, I go through the same, (laughs) the exact same intellectual property, copyright, and uh, ethics training every single year. So it's something that I'm constantly thinking about in terms of like what's okay, what's not okay. And while you and I are not lawyers and no one should take our advice out of hand, this is something we need to think about because we don't want to end up in hot water. That's kind of where I'm sitting. Yeah. I And I always came from the approach that we are colleagues, not com- Competitors, right? And so I do share an awful lot, but I don't necessarily share everything. Part of that reason is that because I do offer training. And so it's, it's, if, if you want certain information, if you want the deeper information, then that's more time intensive. That's, I worked really hard to figure this stuff out. So like, you've got to put some skin in the game. And it's not just something I'm going to post up on Facebook. But I always, with my students, take the approach that like, the hope is that you turn out better than I am, right? That you take the information and run with it. So that's kind of passing you know things along. And I feel like that is parallel to what podcasting 
is really all about. I, I feel like nobody wants to give away all their secret sauce, right? Or grandma's secret recipe that's, you know, been in the family for generations, you know, to compare or make the metaphor. But you can give hints. Yeah. And I feel like podcasting is very much kind of like an open, there's an open source mentality. So it's, it's, there's constantly this push and pull going on. And at times I struggle with that, actually. I do too. I guess for those that are joining us live, uh, if you want to throw your thoughts in the comments as well, we'll have some questions that we'll kind of get to. And do want to say hello to Felix, uh, who popped in and also Daniel's with us. So uh, it's great to see both of you. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, maybe we just start t- by talking about what are things that we think are okay to share? Because it's not everything. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should start with what we think is a terrible idea. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, certainly like sharing your clients, like personal information is horrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, doxing somebody, not okay. Yeah. And anything that's in your contract that you have agreed to not disclose. So intellectual property belonging to your clients. If you have a non-disclosure with them that says you won't reveal yes. that you're working with them. Or what what you're working on for them too is another big one. Sure. One thing that I think we kind of skirt the edge of, and I'm not quite sure where this shakes out, but I know with large companies in particular, getting together with groups of competitors and talking about things like pricing or regulations that could impact pricing, that can start to look like price fixing or some way to manipulate the market. While I'm okay with the survey that Steve does every year, because I think that's a great bit of research and benchmarking is commonplace, even among large companies. And there's certainly research that goes into that. But I think we start to walk a fine line when we tell people you shouldn't charge $50 for that edit. I had never thought about that before. Well, I hadn't either because I want people to earn what I think they're worth. But that can start to look like market manipulation. And so like, I'm not quite sure where that fits. Like we can't get together and be like, everybody don't charge less than this. Right. I'm wondering about that because if Target and Walmart and Sam's Club and Costco and everybody got together, all the big retailers in the U.S. got together and said, we're not going to charge less than this. That would not be okay. Similarly, a manufacturer cannot dictate a price to the retailer. They can give a lowest advertised price. They can do that kind of thing. Would it be more likely that Gills and Bills and Jill's markets could get together and because they're not controlling an entire market, talk about pricing strategy? Maybe. I mean, this is in a large part, still kind of a cottage industry. There's no union that represents us all. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's something that we need to think about, I think. Because people that want to set precedents find the people that they know can't afford to defend themselves to use them as a precedent so they can go after somebody else. And we don't want to be the example because I'm not prepared to fight a lawsuit with whoever wants to go after some bigger company. Let's say that Let's say that they wanted to go after um, a larger production company, but they needed to set a precedent. Well, they could come after us first. Wow. And then once they've got that precedent, then they can use that to go after somebody else. And I don't want to be in that position. No, I don't either. So do we need to have a a further conversation about how we talk about pricing, actually? 
not necessarily with us, but just in, you know, our editor spaces in general. I think that would be a great conversation, especially if there was a way that we could get someone that knows the law, that could provide some guidance, not counsel, right? They can't counsel us unless we've hired them. I don't know, maybe a law professor, somebody who could provide some insight into things that we need to be concerned about. Because I would hate it if one of the people that I'm working with were to have a problem because of what I'm doing in trying to help elevate the entire industry. I wouldn't want them to come after me or by proxy come after somebody that hired me because, right, that's always plan number two. If you can't get the person, go after who hired them, right? Make it hurt for somebody so that you can make it. It's, it's the same principle as the mob going after your kids, right? If they can't get to you, they find the weak point and they go after that. So do you think then that, you know, how do you feel about sharing your rates that you're charging clients? Well, I mean, my rates are published and that's not necessarily incorrect. I mean, I can go to Target's website and figure out what they charge for a thing. What they can't, but what I, what I don't think that we would be prepared to do is if we were to start implementing things and run some kind of campaign that said something along the lines of, if somebody doesn't do this thing that we know will increase the price and make it harder for other people to enter the market, right? Increases their headroom so that they can't get in. And it's not like a common thing, like insurance should be a common thing. Like those are all things. But if we were to start campaigning for something that makes it harder for our competition to enter the market or for them to keep a price reasonable, right? So let's just play this out. And let's say that you and I had some intellectual property that allowed us to do things way faster. But if we were to implement a change that would make it impossible for everybody else, unless they knew the secret that only you and I knew, that would be sort of an antitrust thing in my mind. Right. Would we get caught? I don't know. But like we should we should <laughs> operate with integrity, right? I mean, we should. We should. Absolutely. I totally agree. So uh what else don't you know, do you think it's unethical or potentially illegal to share? I can think of some things that are unwise. That's the thing that really kind of stands out to me. I suppose if there was insider knowledge of upcoming regulations. Anything where there's an NDA in place. Let's say that you've been working with a company on a new interface that's coming out. If you don't have permission, you don't talk about it. <laughs> um, and usually those companies would have something in place and you just go, you abide by that. Those are the things I can think of that would be illegal. And I think, yeah, since we're not talking about other stuff. So yeah, I'll leave the other stuff off the table. The other illegal things that aren't about conversations. Which leads me to the question, how much you know, do you share? about your business. Do you have off-limit things? I've toyed with the idea of taking my client list off my website. I like having them up there for social proof. And there are some of my clients that aren't up there because of an NDA, right? They have an agreement that says I won't publish. And so, like if you go to my portfolio, it says these are selected clients. Well, they're not the clients that said don't share my stuff, right? Because and that's fine. That's that's their prerogative. That's the the agreement that I made with that company. So yeah, totally don't talk about that stuff. I like the social proof of having the other stuff on there. And honestly, I like having my name on a ton of stuff in Podchaser. But I've wondered from time to time, I guess I'm a pretty small fish in the pond, but does having my client list up there create potential competition issues? Well, 
I know. So if you were to do something like that on LinkedIn, right? Whatever. I don't know if there's an approval process or if the company then gets a notification, say you worked for them or on a project for them. Um, I think they get a notification that somebody has claimed they did this and they can approve or deny it. And I sometimes wonder myself if Podchaser shouldn't be implementing something very similar. I almost think because it seems like they're just scraping the RSS feed, right? And like putting, you know, putting the podcast in to Podchaser. Like, I'm assuming that's how they get it, like apps do. I think they get from both Apple and also now Podcast Index. Okay. But you can manually put it in as well. Right. So when Podchaser first started, it made it seem like there was some sort of verification process? I think there's still a human vetting process if you say, I appeared on this. Now, I don't know how that works, right? How do they verify that I'm the person that edited this show? I don't know. But what I do know is that it says pending for a period of time. I don't know what goes in. Maybe they listen to it and they go, yeah, this one's overcompressed. It must have been Brian. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or this one sounds great. It's Carrie's now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This one has a nice pace to it. This one's rushing. This one must be Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This one has loud breaths. Yeah. Before we go on on the unwise things, Daniel did have a couple of comments. Um, If you're brainstorming with a client or planning something, yeah, definitely don't share that. And then also, uh, this is a comment about the rates, right? See a lot of complaints about Fiverr and Upwork editors that are out there driving the price down. On a personal level, I totally feel that, right? Because I see those $5 and $15 editors. I'm like, one... I feel like they're not getting what they're worth. But two, if they're really as good as they say they are, then like they're going to win a lot of business or they could win a lot of business at that price if they weren't on those platforms. Well, okay. So this kind of goes to that colleagues, not competitors thing. And part of the reason I feel that way is because I am always working on my business. I'm always working on what I do. So I'm not very often thinking about anybody else. (laughs) Right. You know, who cares about Fiverr, right? Uh, Ultimately, I, it doesn't affect my business because it is, I feel like a kind of a, a separate market. The customers going to Fiverr are going to Fiverr because it's Fiverr, right? They're looking for a certain price point. They're looking for um, a searchable index of per- service providers who are rated and have the reviews and where everything is laid out clearly, right? They're not looking for a con- you know, someone to do a consult call with. They're not interested in that. They were never going to be my customers, right? And then on kind of on the flip side of that, the value that Fiverr has is allowing podcasters who maybe don't have the budget Right. Maybe, you know, if, if they're, you know, struggling for money, but they're still doing a podcast and still trying to whatever make it work, they now have access that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So I, I feel like there's a place for Fiverr and I started on Upwork, right? It was great. It was great for me. So I don't, I mean, we talk about Fiverr and, and Upwork. Like they're horrible, but I don't think that they really are. I think if you're very obsessed with 
Fiverr and Upwork being horrible. Maybe obsessed is the wrong word. I would question where you're putting your energy <laughs> in your business, right? If you feel like they're taking away from you. Going back to the, the things that are unwise to share, I think uh, business plans might be unwise to share or business strategies. So on this show, we talk pretty openly about who we work with and that kind of stuff. And that may or may not be wise, but let's just say that I had a five-year plan to take over the world. And this was just step one. I feel like I could talk pretty openly about step one, maybe about step two, but I probably don't want to reveal step five because I don't necessarily want everybody to know where I'm headed before I get there. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes total sense because I have been in situations where I have talked fairly, not with you guys, um, because y'all just maybe operate, maybe you do operate with a lot more integrity, but I have shared plans in the wrong situations too openly and seen those somebody else kind of run with them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, to put it nicely, they, or borrow them. And then, you know, I, I'm just always a little bit shocked, but it's unfortunate, but it does happen. Like people that you share, like you have to be, I think, be careful with who you share, like that step five, essentially. Right. Because, uh, somebody can implement it much faster then you can. Especially if they're not playing the long game. If they're not trying to build something to get there, they're just going to kind of jump ahead and assume that they can do it. Or in our case, you know, we're all running a business and building something on that business. It's a lot easier for somebody to come in with zero responsibility and just kind of skip to the end to that one little piece that was sort of the cherry on the top once you get there and skip the whole building part. You know, this reminds me of... Uh, not not in podcast editing, but in a different industry where I have seen somebody um, who had, I think it was a, a coaching course or no, it was an art. It was an art course, actually. They stole the course. Somebody copied the entire thing and then resold it and made a book out of it. It was a whole, a whole thing. So it does... It does unfortunately happen. Yeah. What what about you? What other things would you think are unwise? Um I think when it comes to your your business strategy and, and kind of going along with the step five, but marketing is such a difficult beast, right? So I don't necessarily share every kind of marketing secret with everybody, you know, all the, I've been doing it a while and there, there are certain things I've learned that I don't necessarily share except for with you guys privately or people who pay me to share it with them essentially. And as we were discussing, God, I hate when people say this, why am I saying it? So Brian and I had a little pre-talk and one of the things I talked about (laughs) is how that I will not share everything, you know, publicly. But if you take one of my courses, if you're one of my coaching clients, when you put skin in the game, when you give me money, 
I will give you that secret sauce, right? Because my hope with that is to create really great editors, really great podcasters. So it then benefits me and reflects on me if you take that secret sauce and run with it. That's a different case. But otherwise, you don't get, you're not going to get that. And I share a lot, but not everything. I think that kind of touches on what Gary shared in the comments about how he's seen a lot of gurus kind of give it all away and then basically lose out to the competition that they created. He doesn't share things that are, I guess, what would he, what he would consider a competitive advantage. And since he doesn't share those, I don't know what things those are, but like <laughs> the, the things that allow him to do 2,000 episodes a year, make a great living at it, those kind of things are the things that he doesn't share. I guess my opinion on that is if it's something that you can't Google easily, right? Something that you've developed or something you paid to learn. Oh, that's another one. If you bought a course, that doesn't mean you can teach the content or share it publicly, right? Some of those courses, you don't get the permission to share that person's secret sauce. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that one, but... No, that's a good, that's a really good point. If you buy Carrie's course and she teaches all of the secrets of RX, that doesn't mean you can just go out and put up free YouTube videos that copy your stuff. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but in my mind, if something is easily searchable, if you can go to YouTube and you find five videos that all show you exactly the same thing, it's, you would consider it common knowledge, then yeah, probably share that. But if there's some, some secret approach that you have to fixing audio that's bad, maybe consider holding that back or holding that back for the select few if that does give you an advantage. Now, of course, that's up to you, right? We talked about the ethics of telling people not to charge less, and we probably can't tell you not to charge less. We also can't actually tell you not to give it away for free. But you might want to consider whether or not that creates an advantage for you that will allow you to stay in the market long term. So really what you're talking about, the Google... Googleability? Yeah. That's really the one-on-one stuff, right? So anything beyond... And this is what I was told when I bought a course <laughs> was that... um the one-on-one stuff should always be free, right? Because people can find it everywhere. But anything beyond that, you should charge for. Because that's the stuff that you have, you know, put sweat into learning, essentially. And, and that should be rewarded, essentially. And I would also say that in some cases, general frameworks might be okay to share openly. Especially if the process of developing the technical skill would take somebody some time. So I'll happily share people, share with people the typical process that audio goes through when I, like I have a particular order of operations that allows me to not drop the ball. I'm happy to share that because it's still going to take a long time of doing it to get it right. And by the time you get there, it's going to be your own, not mine. I, I maybe helped you get a leg up a bit. But you're going to find out what works for you because as you're doing it for the ninth or 10,000th time, you're going to go, well, this may have worked for Brian, but I can do this better this way. Yeah. On the flip side, like I'm not going to show you and, and not even paid at, at this point, I don't think I'm not going to show you how I specifically like master something 
to make it sound the way it does. That is something that has given me an edge and has, has caught, you know, I've beat out competition, competition, other editors for jobs simply for that technique that I have. And so that is something I am definitely keeping close to my chest. And unless you knew my whole process, you probably wouldn't get it right anyway. Mm -hmm. So is it even worth you knowing? Yeah, it's the same idea as, will you give me a session file with all of the plugins in it? Yeah, (laughs) you probably aren't going to be recreating it anyway. No, even if I told you all the plugins that are in my mastering chain, which at this point isn't actually the same for every show, but even if it was, it doesn't mean anything if you don't know what to do with them. Yeah. I could list off the four or five typical plugins that are part of my master bus. It's not going to mean a thing if you don't know how to use them. And then it becomes not so much a, a kind of a trade secret, but it's just kind of a waste of time, mm-hmm. right? For everybody involved because different styles, different shows, right? Different shows required, di- you know, different versions of that technique. One of the, I guess, contrary opinions on this that came from the chat was, or the, the comments was Jesse, who was talking about does not feeling the needs to hold his cards close to his chest because it's it, essentially it's a big pie. And if I lose out on a job, it's because of price. I kind of see things both Gary's way and Jesse's way. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? I think everybody should go into the Facebook group and read what Gary and Jesse had to say. First of all, because super, super interesting um, and, and smart. Uh, I like Jesse's willingness to be open. I really do believe that when we share things, we help create better editors. Creating better editors gives us a better reputation for the industry overall. However, I still won't share everything. Here's the challenge I have with Jesse's approach. And I like Jesse's approach as well. And I want to be as much Jesse as I can. But here's the deal. I have committed, I think, 3% of my gross revenue for the year to education and business development. That means that I am actively learning things. And I'm not going to necessarily give those things away for free. right? Because if we start talking about, well, why is yours more expensive? Well, I'm investing all of this money to get better at my craft, to build my business, to develop the teams and the systems and the processes and all of the things that go into delivering what I ultimately want to deliver for my clients. If I even had the permission, but if I give all of that away, somebody who's not investing that by default can have a price that's at least 3% less than mine simply because they're not investing that money, they're getting it all from me for free. Did you do the math? <laughs> no. But, <Okay. laughs> well, I did the profit first framework. And while I don't okay. remember the exact percentage, it was okay, either three yeah. or 5%. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a lot of money. Yeah. And so every, every two weeks, I'm taking X percent of whatever my balance is and I'm moving that over into the personal development and growth. And so then that goes to going to PodFest And all of the things that go into that, that goes into any courses that I buy, that goes into having a membership at the Podcast Editor Academy, all of the, any professional organization, all of that stuff comes out of that money. I'm investing that for the purpose of building my business. And even if I didn't consider Podcaster Academy and all of the content there to be Steve's and it was a problem for me to give it away, it would still be unwise for me to do so because I'm investing my money for the benefit of my business and my clients 
And I'm not here, Carrie, to support your clients. <laughs> right? If they want that, they've got to pay for me. And like, I, this is kind of a funny way to put it, but like, there's a, a part of me that's going, it's the whole Kodak thing, right? First to the market has the most expensive instant developing available back in the 1980s. Second to the market, the technology exists. They don't have any of that overhead to get it out the door. They went on price because the first one went first. It's the whole pioneers get arrows and settlers get the land, right? And so in areas where I'm trying to pioneer, I'm trying to be a little bit careful and wise about what I share. And also that part of that is just because I paid for a course, I can't share it. It's not mine to share. Right. It's operating with integrity. And then you have to remember that being Pollyanna about it is not going to work, right? You you cannot expect everybody else to operate with integrity, unfortunately. And I like to think the podcast editors are the best people in the world, and most of them are, but not 100%. Of, of, it's, just, it's just not realistic, right? It's somebody, you know, is going to take advantage and not, you know, they're not going to want to pay for it. They're not necessarily going to want to put their skin in the game. So when you put it out there and you give away everything, who's going to check to see if they're operating with integrity? And, you know, all of a sudden your clients go into, you know, editor X because they just took your knowledge and undercut your price. Now, to kind of take the 180 though, there are some things that I take the Jesse approach to very much. I will try to help people troubleshoot their issues and point out what the problems are. I might even tell them what RX modules I would use to fix an audio issue. What I don't do is give them a tutorial on how to do it, right? Because you have a course. I don't have an RX course, but you have an RX course. If they want to know something in Hindenburg, I'll tell them how to do it. I even may make a short tutorial for YouTube or for my Facebook group. But if they want the course, the course is paid, right? I put, I took family time over a holiday weekend to make that. And, you know, it's not a significant amount of money, but it helps my family, right? And so, yeah, I'm going to charge you for that. I put the time in to develop the course, you record the course, the edit the course, then re-record That's the parts easy. I screwed up. No. None of that is easy. It's all different skills. And also, I paid a course design expert to help me structure the course, right? I didn't do it for free. It's not just my time and my expertise. I paid money, not mm-hmm. just on the tools. I paid money for somebody to help me do it so that it would be consumable so that I wouldn't screw it up for people. And then you pay for the hosting of the content. And like, there's no, there's nothing that's free in course creation at all. It's like, there's nothing that's really free in the business that we do, right? We're all investing in some way. So... Giving it away just seems not the best move, you know? So, however, that's not to say you can't do things like volunteer your time or give uh, discounted workshops or there's always things you can do to actually give back to the community and to kind of live that practice of sharing as much as you can in different ways, but requiring people to put some skin in the game. And I think it's better for the people that you're educating or teaching to, you know, have them have some personal investment in it. I actually have two examples of that. One is when I was in college, I went to school to be a music teacher. 
And one of the things they said was your students' concerts are never free. If it's free, no one will come. Even if you just charge a dollar, charging people a dollar means they've committed enough to come that they will show up. Now, it might have to be $3 now, but that's one thing. And then another thing is from time to time, I and other people I know have sponsored people to go through trainings or to get, you know, to to help with things. And my experience has been that anything less than a 50-50 split, they don't have enough skin in the game to actually do it. I've even, in the past, we've done things where we'll do it a 50-50 split, and if you complete it, we'll give you your 50% back. But if we say, I will pay this for you, and it's in particular people that are trying to get out of debt, right? I will pay this for you. If there's no money from them in it, they won't come. And people will go, well, we're already broke. We can't, like, all this stuff. If they don't have any money invested, even if they're going to get it back, if they complete it, they just won't do it. It just doesn't happen. And it's super frustrating because in a lot of areas, I want to give it away, but I know they won't take advantage of it. Right. And people who really want it will show up. They will find the money, right? They will make it work. I've been in that situation. Like I didn't start off like as a rich editor, Right. <laughs> not like now. I mean, not that I'm still, ri- not that I'm rich, <laughs> but I really started off, you know, when I started editing, I, we were on food stamps, right? Our disability, my husband's disability, like changed everything. So I want people to have that experience. However, the amount of sweat and hard work that I put to work up to where I am and, and to, you know, I paid for the coaching. I made those investments and we didn't have the money, but I, I figured it out. I figured out how to, you know, make arrangements. Like you said, there's always options. Let's take that a bit further because you talked about making a way. One of the ways that you can make a way is if you've got the skills and you can find somebody that's willing to work with you, work with somebody else even if it's just a part of it, or even if you're just finding a way to be around them to find out how the business part of it works, something like that. If you can't pay for it, find a way to be valuable enough to someone that they will pay you so that you can learn it or at least start learning about it. I'm not a fan of the whole, if you want it bad enough, it'll happen. So just go pull out your credit card and give me your money. No, if you don't have it, don't spend it. But if you can find a way to get the experience or start developing a skill, even if, even if it's starting out the way I did, where you edit your own show with no intention of becoming an editor, right? <laughs> you start because I didn't want to have a service based business. I wanted to have a product <laughs> business or an IP business, so I didn't have to mess with all this service stuff and people. But that's not what happened. So if you can do that, get in as a VA, get in doing something where you can be adjacent to that and start working your way into it. And use the extra money, whatever, like however it is that you view that. If you need to fund things, use that to fund some stuff. That's what I've, I mean, I've done that. I'm pretty sure Carrie's done that from time to time as well. And people, if you are willing to learn, you can always make an arrangement with even a podcast to volunteer, to learn what they're doing and and figure it out. That enthusiasm, that want, that desire with people goes a long way and they will invest in you as well. So you don't necessarily need to get everybody 
to give you all their tips. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of me wants to work for Carrie sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I invest in my people, okay? That's another one that's not necessarily I, I don't talk about, but it's something that I'm considering as to whether or not how much I can invest in the people that I have before they start turning from contractors to employees in the eyes of the U.S. tax code. Well, I only work with vendors, so... <laughs> I, I know that's how you call it, but... <laughs> that's a discussion for another day. We're not going to go there. Wait, that brings up something, though. Do you then talk about who you're contracting with, like those that the, the contract piece, you know, or your team members and how much you pay them and all that information? Is that something that you are willing to share publicly or not? The contractors that I work with or that work with me, as long as I have their permission, I'm happy to talk about who I work with and even to recommend them if there's something that I think they would be a great fit for. And I've done that in the past a a number of times. I'm happy to do that kind of thing. I've even thought about putting them on my website and I would like to at some point say that these are some of the people that I work with because I want to highlight them. And I also want to highlight the fact that you're not just hiring a gnome in the in a basement, right? We're developing a team. We've, we've got systems and processes in place to deliver a high quality product every time. That's what we're going for. The team's not complete, right? But we're working on it. What I pay them, like what that contracted rate is, is nobody's business, but ours. That comes from some of my experience in the business world. Like the company that I work with, we will contract with multiple carriers for thousands of trucks per week to move freight around the country. Our rate information is considered confidential, both for our company and for their company. We don't share one carrier's rates with another carrier, and we don't share any carrier's rates with outside parties, including customers who think that they should get more money for picking up their own load, like I'm sorry, we don't tell you what night transportation charges us to carry this load. If you want to contract with them, get your own price. That's a that's an antitrust issue. And of course, there are exceptions for data processing and stuff, but the same would be for me, right? The accounting company that I use, even though they don't care about me, right? They don't even know I exist. Yeah, that data is there and it could be mined. However, it is not shared in a public way. And that's that would be, in my mind, that's completely inappropriate. The exception might be, if you're advertising a contract position, you say, this pays this much for any, anybody can apply as long as you can do the job. That's not how I work. I pick and choose who I work with. And we work on the price between the two of us. And while I have some standard rates, it's a discussion that we have. I will tell people, like, if they ask, like, oh, well, you know, how much does a contractor cost? Or they, they want to talk about contractor pricing. I'll give them a range, right? And I'll say... You know, I'll disclose, for instance, that I have given my contractors bonuses and I have given them, I shouldn't say my vendors. Uh, (laughs) uh, I will say I've given them bonuses. I talk about here, like, you know, I, if I can, I'll give them a a virtual conference ticket or, you know, make the, I'll talk about the investments that I make, but I won't share specifics. And to me, then this isn't businessy at all, but it's like, it's their information, essentially. Like it's none of anybody's business, but theirs. And I don't get to choose to, I feel like it's almost a violation if it, they haven't 
a raise or I gave him a bonus, but I, I will not name numbers because it's none of anybody's business because it's their business essentially. Um, just like I wouldn't want my clients necessarily, they probably do though. Like, oh, I only pay her whatever. But I always, when, you know, a client wants to refer you to a new client or like to a friend of theirs, I've had the conversation with clients. Like I'd be you know, happy if you shared my information with them. However, please remember that your rate is your rate. Yeah. I think that's a, you know, hot tip <laughs> because yeah, yeah. their rate is their rate. And I feel the same, the kind of same way with contractors, right? Just like I wouldn't want a contractor saying, oh, well, Carrie pays this much because I might not be, you know, paying the next contractor that much. They might not be worth that much. Exactly. I actually have in both my contractor and also my, my client agreement, as well as my vendor agreement, that rate information is confidential. It's under an NDA and it's bilateral. I need to add that actually, because I don't have that in my, I do make the contractors do an NDA, but I need to do that with clients too. Well, it's just part of the contract, right? It's just, there's an NDA section that says, you know, and there are several things that listed are listed, but one of them is, yeah, we don't talk about money. And I would even say, go so far as to say, beyond just that whole personal thing, cost structure is a competitive advantage or can be a competitive advantage. Wow. Oh. I mean, back to the, the whole thing, like there's back in the serial wars of the 70s and 80s, there was one company that's a super low margin business, right? It's all commodities, a super low margin there was one company that could was able to win out because they figured out a way to get their cost structure down to where they could have a higher margin, even oh. though they were charging at parity for essentially the same product. And so that then allowed them to invest more. And they ultimately, at least for that time period, won. Now, cereal is basically dead, but <laughs> that's a thing. And there's more than one way to lower cost, right? It, people assume that the only way to lower cost is by paying people less by outsourcing over like there are other ways to lower cost that actually allow you to employ really or to contract with really high quality people and pay them a good rate for a contractor right not the same rate as if they went out and went out and chased down the business themselves but a good rate that treats them well and honors the skill set that they have, but doesn't price you out of the market. Now, I haven't completely cracked the nut on that, but cost structure is a big deal. Yeah, which makes me think of something else I wouldn't share, and that's my customer acquisition cost. Or strategy. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes back to the, the marketing thing, really. But that customer acquisition cost, because that's part of keeping the costs, you know, your costs down. Because every time you get a new or every time you go after clients, it costs money. And I think that's something that just the customer acquisition costs. I think as a community, we should talk about that more. You know, we talk about marketing, we talk about rates, but we don't actually talk about the costs involved in getting business. Right. And that's something that I'm barely qualified to ask questions about. (laughs) because I'm so bad at it. Well, I feel like that you could just make a spreadsheet for us. (laughs) I could, but that doesn't mean that it would work. Just because it's in a spreadsheet doesn't mean it wasn't a monkey typing number. Yeah, but then we could like test it out. And, you know, I'm just, no, I'm just trying to 
could figure out how to get you to make more spreadsheets. We've talked a lot about things that we shouldn't talk about. <laughs> what about things we can? <laughs> Is there anything left? Uh, well, I feel like we kind of talked a lot about the positives by talking about the negatives. Uh, what should we talk about? I don't know. Uh, what about frustrations? Well, I think we need to be careful when talking about frustrations. And for two okay. reasons. The first reason is that nobody wants to hire a crabby editor. Okay? <laughs> no kidding. So when you're talking about those frustrations out loud in Facebook groups, you are in front of potential clients. So being mindful about how you speak about those frustrations is important. What about frustrations with your peers or competition? I think we do that already. I think that's I, that goes back to the Fiverr and Upwork. Okay. So an example, and I didn't call out anybody specific, but there was a podcast production company that reached out to me for something. And they had their own podcast. So I downloaded it. And the audio wasn't terrible, but from a dynamic range standpoint, the thing would have been nearly unlistenable. And this is a company that's charging people a fair bit of money. And so I went on a very, very short Twitter rant where I said, hey, if you're going to hire somebody to do your audio, just make sure that they can actually do it. Like this technically meets the 16 Luffs target, but there's clipping, there's like really wide dynamic range. And I just did a before and after and said, this is what they did. This is what took me, you know, 15 minutes in RX or whatever it was that I used to address it. And you should expect something that looks more like this. I almost think that's flirting with the line, right? Well, it might have been. And I didn't feel super great about it, but I was also kind of <laughs> pissed that they're charging money for this. It is very frustrating when you see people doing things that maybe aren't the best, right? And I would probably be very frustrated about that as well. I don't know that I would, I would probably write an article as opposed to doing a before and after. And I didn't call them out and I didn't publish the audio, right? It was just a picture. Okay. Right? I, I did not name them that. Yeah, I'm not that guy, but I thought about it. <laughs> so I would definitely not name them in that situation. A picture, just having an example like that where no, you can't identify the company, I think is okay. But yeah. Calling people out unless they have done something. I may have called some people out before. Uh, <laughs> but I think that you need to make those decisions very carefully and, and really think them through. So when you're frustrated, it's very easy to have this kind of knee-jerk reaction. And I think that taking a pause is super important, you know, and really reflecting on how it will affect your business. Um, because ultimately, customers, clients are always potentially watching. Daniel says that he'll complain about scammers and platforms. Well, I just think that's relatable and likable. So I think you're going to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. We won't share any of the back office conversation about scammers, but we sometimes talk about that in private. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? I don't know that we talk about this a lot, but just highlighting other editors' works. And maybe we don't do that enough. Ooh, that's good. Right? I think that we should, you know, kind of catch other editors, you know, because it's easy to get caught up in frustrations. And 
um, people doing bad things. But I think that maybe we need to do a little bit more people doing good things, right? And you do see it when somebody gets a mention in the press somewhere, somebody's show gets the show, well, not their show, but their client's show gets accolades, especially in terms of the editing. And just when you hear something really good and you know somebody edited edited it, uh, I think that that's definitely worth kind of a shout out. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I think that's something that I see a few in the podcast editing space do really well. It's yeah, something Steve I don't Stewart's do well. really awesome at that. Yeah. If anybody's going to give you a high five, it's going to be Steve. So. Yeah. I could use some high fives some days. <laughs> yeah, I really could use a lot of high fives this year. <laughs> but um, I don't know if there's anything else that I I would share. But I really think it's important to think through these things, right? Mm-hmm. When I started my business, what I shared and what I didn't share was not something I thought about. I think what really got me is I was like, well, I think all my posts are complaining. <laughs> more yelly. Yeah. Well, I'm 50% more yelling in a different way though, in in a more thoughtful way. Um, It's not just complaining, but because then I guess I overcompensated. I went from being really complaining, just like randomly, you know, frustrations to being like overly nice. So now I'm kind of course correcting, but yeah, I think, um, you know, share who you are, share those core values that you bring to your business and think through what you're sharing. You know, how is it going to serve you ultimately? How is it going to serve your clients? Is it going to make you money? Because as much as we love podcasting, we're not volunteering. No, I did that for a while. I'm good with getting paid. Prefer the money in pocket part. Yeah. This is how I like pay my bills. <laughs> mm-hmm. I kind of needed to keep happening. Uh so yeah. uh, do you think we're ready for a Poddex question of the day? I think we are. Okay. I think we are. I have five of them here. Do you want to, if I can slide it over, you want to pick a number from one to five? Four. Four. From which side? This side or this side? I don't know. Pick any. <laughs> one, two, three, four. Oh my. Which living person do you most admire? Actually, let's make it, which podcaster do you most admire? I think that would be a good one. If you're watching live, put it in the chat. If you're watching or watching the replay or listening later, shoot us an email to umya at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. I'd love to know which podcaster do you most admire? And I'm kind of struggling a little bit to, to think of one because I can think of all of the famous ones. Well, okay. So I'm going to mention... Um... Well, she was a fellow editor. I don't know exactly if she's editing anymore. And I'll say this just because her podcast just brings me so much joy. And I love how she has taken everything she's learned and kind of like run with it. And that's Nikita Burke's Hale, her podcast headphones and crayons. Because first of all, what a phenomenal idea to interview podcasters while they're coloring. She interviewed me and it was one one of the best podcast interviews I'd ever, it was one of the most like relaxing podcast interviews I've ever experienced. And then listening to her other episodes, it's, they're just phenomenal. It's, she's just very thoughtful and she, through the coloring, she gets people to be really vulnerable. 
And I absolutely love that. And then my other one is Dallas Taylor, just because, I mean, it's Dallas Taylor, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so much, he's so thoughtful about, you know, that show is so thoughtful about what he does. And it's just, his voice is so nice. And it, you know, you're always going to learn something. There's never a wasted moment and it's going to sound beautiful. So Dallas is the one that I was going to say. Okay. (laughs) So I will pick another one. The one that I'm going to pick, it's actually not a show that I listen to anymore, but Jordan Harbinger. Okay. Um, When I did listen to his show, unbelievably good interviewer, really good at getting long form, in-depth interviews with people. And especially as he started to really grow into his own brand as he had left whatever, I don't remember what company he was with before and had a little bit more freedom and got away from some of the self-helpy type stuff. I really started to enjoy his show. Now, like I said, I don't currently listen to it, but what he was able to do with that show and how he's been able to grow it as a full-time podcaster, having to do a restart after building one show and then moving immediately to another show with essentially no warning, huge props to him. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Oh, Daniel says he never listens to podcasts anymore. So he joined. (laughs) Yeah, it is harder to listen to podcasts when you like literally listen to podcasts all day. Uh, And then Helen says there's a wonderful podcast, podcaster and journalist in Canada, Connie Walker. I really admire her work. And I'm going to add to that, Helen, that there's something about Canadians who podcast. They are exceptional. Like (laughs) all the podcasts from the uh, Canadian broadcasting company I mean, it's just, I have yet to listen to one I didn't like. So if you're ever in need of a podcast, that's, that's where I go check first. So I guess, I guess that's it. That's our show. Do we need to tell people how they can connect with us or be a guest or anything like that? Yes. Brian, would you like to tell people how they can be a guest on our show and connect with us should they want to? You know, Carrie, I'm really glad that you suggested that. That's a great, that's a great thing. If you are interested in being a guest on the show or If you have a topic, potential topic for the show, maybe a question that you have, a struggle that you're working through, you just want to come on the show and help us, have us help you brainstorm and mastermind an issue, got to remember the website, Podcast Editors Mastermind, not top tier audio, podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest. That'll take you to a form. Fill out that form and just ask for a little bit of information. That'll go to Daniel and we will reach back out to you and see if it's a fit and see if we can get you on the schedule. We do work on every other Thursday night health permitting. We'll try and get you booked for one of those times that we do a recording. And our editor is Alejandro Ramirez. And if you would like him to be your editor, send an email to um, yeah at podcasteditorsmastermind.com and we will give you the hookup. Uh, I do want to, speaking, uh, you know, I, we talked about shouting out other podcasters or other podcast editors earlier. I want to give a special congratulations to Callie Wright because they just landed a job at The Verge. Really? I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So congratulations, Callie. You totally deserve it because you edit podcasts that don't suck. Um, And that is a reference to the episode Callie was on our show. So go check that out because uh, Callie is awesome and big, huge congrats. It was just amazing to watch people grow. And Daniel said that he really admires their work. Woohoo! 
Is this the end? Yeah, this is the end. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us in the live audience. (laughs) Make sure you go into the Podcast Editor's Mastermind Facebook group and read the comments under this. Is it going to be under the post? Is that how that works? I think it will. Yeah, it should be probably under the video. Yeah, under the video for this because there was some really great conversation happening uh, there. And you should definitely, it'll give you food for thought. So. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll see you next two Thursdays from now uh, if you're watching live. And then eventually we'll put up a schedule. But, you know, it's been crazy. I'm Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at yayapodcasting.com or you can find me on Instagram at Carrie Eric. I'm Brian Inspringer. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. That's also got links to the social profiles. And in the chat tonight, moderating for us was Daniel Abendroth. You can find him at rothmedia.audio and not on Instagram. So (laughs) rothmedia.audio. Thanks, everybody. Bye, y'all. So Um, how much is that? (laughs) Um, 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 um,